Greetings, citizens, and welcome to Unknown. I'm Jason McClellan. Thanks for hanging out with me. Shane Hurd and Ryan Sprague are also on the show today, and today's episode is one of our casual, conversational episodes we like to call UFO Happy Hour. All right, before we start... I want to make it clear that on our UFO happy hour episodes, these are simply fun conversations where we discuss various topics and share our personal opinions, meaning that these episodes are not our typical objective journalistic reporting and storytelling. These are casual, raw, informal discussions where we share our opinions. So having said that, let's get this party started. Ryan, good to see you, buddy. What uh, are you drinking today? Uh, informal is the perfect word, man. This is going to be fun. Uh, I'm drinking, I'm actually on, uh, the island of Oahu right now. I had to escape New York. It's going crazy. Uh, so I went to a brewery recently called Beer Lab here on the island, and, uh, it's become one of my favorite breweries ever. And they always do really interesting beers, and they're mixing, uh, you know, fruits with them, guava beers and breadfruit beer, like the weirdest stuff you can think of. But right now they're actually featuring a bunch of sort of cosmic brews. And the one I'm drinking is called the Solar System Golden Ale, and it's delicious. Amber Ale, it's got a little little bite to it. It's nice and sweet. And um, like I said, they're they're killing it with their space-themed beers right now. So I'm a big fan. The name alone sounds amazing. The name alone, yeah, and I just realized it's twelve percent. So uh, forgive me, gentlemen, if Whoa. I get a little a little sassy during. Ryan's going to get of, sassy uh, on this episode. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah so that's those me. Are, those are my favorite breweries too. I love the breweries that are all about experimentation, and they're always like just throwing all sorts of different stuff in there. <laughs> Let's see what this tastes like, and coming up with these crazy yeah. concoctions. I love that. Shane, how about you, yeah. buddy? What are you drinking? Uh, well, you guys know I'm uh, a big bourbon guy, and I normally drink bourbon, but uh, today, since it's like 175 degrees here in Phoenix, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I am drinking the soda pop of beers. I am drinking a Bud Light Lime. with uh, I just had chips and salsa, so those That's go together perfect. good, and, and I'm, I'm rolling with that. That's perfect. Love yeah. It. And I, I am not a, not a not a Bud Light fan for sure, but you know what? When it is 175 like it is here, Shane, I'm in Phoenix <laughs> with you, buddy. I agree. Those are perfect on right. on hot days and great with chips and salsa like you said. And I'm in the same boat yep. as you, Shane. I, I wanted to do like an old fashioned or, or or some great uh, bourbon cocktail for today, but it's so damn hot here. I just went with a Corona. So, drinking a Corona today. Oh, no. <laughs> cheers guys so apropos as usual yes. cheers gentlemen yeah so cheers. there's a there's a, a joke in there right now just waiting to be had oh you oh, know always. it always <laughs> welcome All to right. 2020 yeah yeah well 
I have a couple topics I'd like to hit today, and I guess we'll start with one that's been the subject of renewed discussion and debate, and that's the question of whether UFOs should be considered a threat. Now, uh, on the last episode of Unknown, I kind of talked about that a bit and my thoughts on that and kind of the a little bit of history where that comes into play, where where the military, the U.S. government, has offered uh, opinions about that. You know, certainly with official UFO investigations, we've we've seen those sort of uh, closed and shut down and finalized because it was determined that UFOs don't pose a threat. But of course, m- the military looks at everything from a threat assessment perspective. Um, so, I mean, I come out on the side of UFOs definitely being a potential threat. And that's that's the, the verbiage they use, a potential threat, because clearly when you don't know what something is, it's a potential threat. You need to identify it and then be able to eliminate it as a possible threat. But another big issue with this question and the answers people give is this weird idea that UFOs is a singular unified thing. I mean, UFOs aren't all the same thing. Right? They aren't necessarily all related. You can't ever, in, in my opinion, you can't ever eliminate UFOs as a potential threat completely because of their very nature. They're unknown objects. They're not related. Just because you see what this one thing is that was flying in the airspace at this time doesn't mean you go, oh, that was nothing. That's just fine. We're not going to look at it anymore. Because every UFO is different and every UFO has to be looked at from that sort of military threat assessment perspective. What do you guys think? Uh, Yeah, I mean, we can go so far as if anyone listened to the conversation with Tom DeLonge, Chris Mellon, and Luis Elizondo recently. Elizondo, the former head of ATIP, the Threat Identification Program, it's right in the right in the name of the program. <laughs> and of course, someone like him is going to be looking at this topic from a, a threat angle. He has to. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily mean that these objects or phenomena are uh, malevolent, as Jason pointed out, it just means we don't know what they are and they could pose a potential threat. Uh, what I think is most interesting about this question, Jason, is uh, the idea that it's not even the UFO or the UAP that's the threat. It's us. It's how we react to it. It's, yeah. um, you know, I recently covered the Tehran UFO incident of 1976. And this is a prime example where a fighter pilot was in a cat and mouse uh, you know, game with a UFO and could possibly have used his weapons on it or vice versa. Yeah. So I think a lot of it, again, comes down to uh, the human being observing the object. And if it's a military observer, uh, it, we could be the threat. We could be the one causing harm in our reaction to it. So if we don't have protocol in, you know, set up for something like that, the pilot's going to act the way they want to. And if it's a threat to them, they might fire on it. So, yeah, I think the threat really comes from us more than it does any of these UFOs. Of course, yeah. I mean, they've supposedly um, affected ordnance, nuclear ordnance, or they have um, harmed people in physiological ways at times. But I think if we look at the overall history of UFOs, it's really not a threat. Uh, from the object itself, it's how we react to it. So, yeah. 
Right. And and like you brought up, the confusing threat with malevolence, um, that's an important thing to keep in mind here. And like you just said, with the disarming nuclear weapons and things like that, and, and other interactions that these things have reportedly caused, you know, just because those things aren't necessarily done out of malevolence, they're not a, a hostile act, the fact, the simple fact that they seem to have the ability to do that, that again is where a potential threat comes in because you don't know the motives, you know, behind that. Is this just a, an accidental, uh, you know, result of some electromagnetic interference yeah. or, you know, why these things are happening? We don't know. We don't know the why. We don't know the motive, if there even is a motive. But we do have, have these objects in the sky. We do have our reactions to them. And there's just a whole lot of unknowns there that cause a you know, potential situation. And until you have all of the data, all of the information to make it make a reasonable decision, I, I don't think you have that information to determine, to cross it off the list of a potential threat. And I've seen a lot of things going around recently because this has been such a hot topic, you know, people's sassy responses and, and good analogies too. And, and one analogy that, that I enjoyed because it, it involves swimming pools and we have Tons of swimming pools here in Phoenix because, like Shane said, it's 175 degrees right now. Um, is swimming pools right? There are lots of swimming pools, and swimming pools are nothing. They're just pools of water. They're just these big things in many different shapes, filled with water that people use for fun, sitting in people's backyards. The pools themselves aren't dangerous. They're not trying to hurt us. They're not necessarily a threat, but. We still put fences around them because children fall in the pools and, and die all the time. It happens all the time every year here in Arizona. It's a big deal and all around the world, obviously. But the pools themselves are not hostile, yet we still view them as a potential threat. So we take appropriate actions to prevent anything bad from happening. With UFOs, it's not that simple, obviously, because... Again, we don't know what we're dealing with. We're not dealing with one thing. Every UFO is different. So it's almost impossible to figure out how, you know, if at all, to respond. We can't put up a fence and, and have the, the, the issue dealt with. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's the analogy. human condition. It, it really is, Jason. I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, we as human beings are defensive by nature. So, I mean, we will always find a way to find a threat with anything we deal with. I think that's just the way we are. And when that gets amplified by our military, that's a whole other level. So yeah, good point. Really good point. What do you think about this, Shane? Yeah, I think, um, you know, a couple different takes on it. Um, first of all, like your analogy, like I have horses, right? And I have a well-trained horse and it loves me and I love it and everything's cool. But that horse is still a threat to me because it's a thousand pound animal. It can accidentally step on my foot and break it. Or, you know, it could get spooked somehow and I fall off and break my neck and die. You know, it's a threat, but it's not the kind, it's not an intentional threat. It's, it's threatening because of its, you know, its existence and its, um, how it could conflict with my existence, right? So I treat it with respect and, and care and I always treat it as a threat. But so there, there's that, that angle. Um, and I think what's going on in ufology today and, you know, like with ATIP and now with, you know, unidentified and stuff. And these guys are really um, 
putting forth the threat nature of UFOs, and some in the UFO community are very upset by that, like, you know, they're all benevolent, you're just trying to militarize this. Um, however, just for the reasons you both stated, um, you, first of all, you look at, there's different meanings t to threat, right? So when you're talking military and intelligence, they interpret threat in a very specific way. Um, so let me illustrate. Maybe it, I, I, if I could, I'd just like to read a little excerpt from uh, Linda King's book, UFOs, Journals, Pilots, um, Government Officials Go on the Record. And this is quoting basically Nick Pope. But I, I always thought his definition or explanation of a military or intelligence threat in relation to UFOs is pretty, pretty well done. And it reads this way. Uh, it says, Nick Pope, former MOD official and UFO expert in the UK, says that governments define threat in a very specific way, especially within military intelligence circles. The formula goes like this. Threat equals capability plus intent. For example, the United States is aware that the UK has nuclear weapons. That's the threat. Okay, and therefore could launch a nuclear attack on America. That is the capability. But since the UK has no intent to launch such an attack, the United States faces no threat in this regard. So Pope points out that we certainly know that UFOs have the capability of being a threat, given they're like a horse, fantastic speed, maneuverability, far superior to our own technology. But in this case, the intent of UFOs is completely unknown. And therefore immeasurable. Because of that fact, then UFOs must be taken seriously as possible threats. So I think when you see that on unidentified, and, and remember, these are military guys, intelligence guys, mm -hmm. and they're bringing cases that are military cases, right. cases we probably never even heard of. First of all, thank you, thank you, because that expands our knowledge and understanding of it. But um, in addition, it helps us understand the, our government's reaction and some of the things that they do and have done and probably will do on that basis. And to me, I think that's logical. And thank goodness there is somebody out there thinking that way because we do not know. And, and so, yeah, for 70 years, they've not, you know, done anything particularly threatening and that, that whole thing. But, you know, we don't know yet. So we should, you know, have that posture at least not, not to be threatening ourselves, but to be prepared if, in fact, they ever prove to be threatening. So that's kind of one, one angle on, on threat. The other, to me, and this, is, this comes from some research I did um, from a paper called UFOs and Sovereignty by Alexander Went and Raymond Duval. And, and these guys are two political scientists um, who analyzed the government's behavior for these 75 years uh, regarding UFOs, and it's a super complex and big, long thing, and we won't go into all that, but one of the things that they touched on is the fact that because UFOs, you know, whoever has created them and is, is operating them and, and all of that, they're clearly far superior to human beings, at least their technologies and so forth. And if they ever do come and present them themselves, governments, well, he, they use this illustration. They said if, if some superior being manifested itself here, like maybe Jesus is in the second coming, um, and they demonstrate this superiority to human beings, 
who are human beings going to follow? Are they going to follow the superior being or the failed states, nation states on this earth, the global network of these separate disparate governments who, frankly, at, you know, 200 of them, by far the majority, um, do not take care of their people very well. Let's just put it that way, right? So um, if, if others present themselves in that way, they view it as an existential threat to our governmental system on earth. And I, I don't think that gets enough play. We all always focus on the, you know, the, the military threat aspect, but, you know, you, there has to be more of an explanation to explain the schizophrenic behavior of our governments, you know, that, that we've seen for these 75 years. And to that, to me, that makes a lot of sense. And they, again, provide a lot more powerful reason and logic and example. But I just wanted to bring that one up because no one really talks about that aspect of it much. But I think it's probably as much or greater a driving force than even the military threat because, again, they've not demonstrated, you know, an intent to threaten us. So um, I think maybe that's one of the, the things that explains why they act the way they do. I think Shane said it all. Um, I would just elaborate by saying I think that's why our government has – had plausible deniability for so long when it comes to this issue. Like, instead of acknowledging it and admitting we don't control our skies or our nation's borders and in the air or in the sea, uh, it's not happening. You're imagining it. Um, it's, it's explainable. And I think now we're seeing with the Navy uh, and the DOD officially acknowledging a phenomenon in our skies, that's a big shift in what you said, Shane, in terms of that existential question of what's beyond the government when it comes to this. And like you said, yeah, if a superior intelligence came down and said, hey, we don't care about your nation's borders. We don't care if you speak different languages, have different religious beliefs. Like, we made it here. We're here. We could get rid of you in an instant. Who are you going to follow? Us or your quote-unquote leader of your nation yeah so i think that's a really good point and i think we're seeing a really interesting shift in the way the military is uh now acknowledging the topic and that could be a huge play moving forward with the issue yeah but with both of you guys sort of bashing government here i i think we've guaranteed <laughs> another stellar review on apple Podcasts because we've established that this podcast has more lefty bs I haven't gotten one of those in a while, but uh, <laughs> oh, I've got plenty now, wait, of those. I, I can, said, I can give to you. I said, I am glad we have the military thinking that way and protecting us. So it isn't all that. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, the, but, our, our, our wonderful fans who leave the comments about lefty BS are different people. <laughs> wow. <laughs> all right. Well, on a related topic, let's talk about season two of Unidentified Inside America's UFO Investigation that just premiered on Saturday, July eleventh. What did you guys think of the episode? Did, Ryan, did you see it? Yeah, yeah. I watched it, um, yeah, maybe a week ago or so, yeah. uh, one of those advanced ones. But um, it aired last night, I believe. The ratings, I heard, were really stellar. Um, and I thought it was great. Uh, UFOs in Combat, I believe it was titled. Um, and we got some new military encounters, one of which really blew me away uh, with the, the uh, Army Specialist in Afghanistan. Uh, that that was 
really interesting. And um, I was happy to see all our players are back. Chris Mellon, Luis Elizondo. Um, and yeah, yeah, I thought it was good. And we got some interesting connections back to the Tic Tac UFO. Maybe that's what these guys were seeing in Afghanistan as well. So I think... I think unidentified, they're trying to make connections between what these things could be and that it wasn't just over the seas of um, California where they saw this Tic Tac. Maybe we're seeing these in Afghanistan. Maybe we're seeing these in other parts of the United States. Um, So, yeah, I I, I thought it was a really good opener for their new season. And it also introduced us to a new format, I think, too. We're going to be covering certain topics now, which I find really interesting. And, um, yeah, I'm excited to see where the series goes from here. Did you see the episode, Shane? Yeah, yeah. I thought it was terrific, too. And I I think the big takeaway for me was that, um, again, military UFO encounters have not been available to the public, and now they're being made available. I mean, oh, my gosh, this is the thing we've been asking for for those 75 years, right? And, And it's happening. And, I mean... At least I wasn't familiar with those. I don't know if they were in the public domain or, or not. But, you know, I found it very interesting. They had cases from, uh, I think it was Kosovo, uh, from the first Gulf War, of course, Vietnam, um, and uh, Afghanistan. And, and, you know, involving, uh, uh, you know, B-52s and A-10s and helicopters and just this whole variety of things and and again to me when you when you have uh different contexts for different encounters um kind of like you were alluding to earlier jason you know it may not be one one thing and and that that is interesting and and you know they're different types and they're different shapes and and i think what this does is it also helps corroborate the, the public cases that we have and like all of our classic cases from Roswell to the Phoenix Lights and that kind of thing. Um, when you have military people, especially in a the theater of war, um, you know, having these experiences and they, they run similar to the public experiences. And to me, again, military cases are highly credible because of the people involved, the equipment, you know, like, you know, you just think about radar systems, you know, those are closed systems. Those are, you know, instruments they're, they're patched and they're maintained and they're highly trained operators of those things, you know, so when you, when you collect that kind of data, it's, it's super valuable, you know? And so all of those things, I think us becoming aware of those actually, you know, supports all the public stuff that we've seen all these years and that we always talk about. So I think it's, you know, really, really going to be a valuable thing to the whole, um, you know, ufology and whole and how, people in the public who aren't UFO people, it will capture their interest, it will give them a level of credibility so that then again it goes back to well maybe these guys aren't wackos, these other people who you know have been reporting UFOs because they've been reported in the military for all these decades and no one just heard about it and now it's coming out. So I mean I think that it's it's good for everybody to, to have it go down like this. Yeah, I mean it it uh it is interesting to see the audience that the show is reaching and they had a tremendous response to last season and had all these military people coming forward 
with their own sighting experiences. That's really cool, and we're going to see that, and we already did see that in the first episode. We'll see more of that, um, the results of that on this second season. Like you mentioned, not surprisingly, it's focused on the military, but that is the focus of this show. And you know, after seeing the first episode a couple of weeks ago when I wrote a little preview for uh, the season on Rogue Planet, I posted about it on social media with a cheesy comment about how I hope your breath still stinks because season two is giving you more Tic Tacs. And that is certainly true. <laughs> I mean, they're, they are all about the Tic Tac. And yeah. I, I don't know, to me, I, I, it seems like they're, it's a weird trying to force a connection between other sightings and the 2004 Nimitz Tic Tac UFO encounter. Um, you know, even comments about, oh, yeah, that that looks like a Tic Tac or that sounds like you know, a Tic Tac. You know, maybe that's a good yeah. thing. Maybe it's not. I, I think that's kind of an unnecessary forced connection. I mean, we again, we we have this need to, to find connections um, with things in life and with UFOs. I think most times there there aren't connections. Um, and, you know, Tom DeLonge even posted on social media either today or yesterday about how they're going to use religious texts and add that to their their AI uh, for looking for patterns throughout history. And, you know, that's that's interesting and all. But again, people change over time with how we describe things, um, the things we're used yeah. to seeing. And, you know, I, I, I would bet that a lot of what people are calling Tic Tacs now, because that's just such a, a buzz term that people new to this are, are see, thinking that is a, a thing, these Tic Tac UFOs. We've seen so many shapes over the years, and I, I, w- I would guess that mm-hmm. people who described something as a cigar-shaped UFO years ago would now call that a Tic Tac UFO, just because a similar shape, you know, these things that are, you know, kind of elongated, um, that look like a, a cigar or, or something, you know, these, these shapes change over time again. I mean, some of my favorites, and that, that's a book in itself we should write sometime about different shapes of UFOs, but yeah. the British are the best with their shapes. I mean, they've, got, they've had hamburger UFOs and things like that. I love reading <laughs> some of those sighting reports of how people describe <laughs> these things, but we're certainly seeing more, more Tic Tac UFOs now because that's been put out there into, into the community and into the thought process. And now we've got this, this show, um, you know, pushing the UFO narrative, driving the UFO narrative and, and this focus on Tic Tac UFOs and, and trying to find Tic Tac UFOs from all over the world. So that's interesting. And it'll be interesting to see what that does to the, the discussion, to the dialogue um, and discourse on UFOs going forward. But I'm excited to see where the season goes. Again, I think it's really cool. We're seeing these, uh, this mili- military testimony coming forward from people who obviously the ones we're hearing from are no longer in the military and they're able to talk about it. Um, but yeah, the, the really old ones are, are really cool to me because especially people you know, like the Vietnam uh, era and things like that, the stigma was so much worse than it is now. And those were just things you did yeah. not talk about. And these are people who, even if they did uh, happen to tell somebody about it, which, you know, that is extremely rare that they would tell anybody about something like that because of the ridicule factor. But, you know, for them to be able to unload that and have people take them seriously, that's got to be such a relief, such a such a burden that they're mm-hmm. able to unload and finally feel I'm not crazy, you know, and people are, are not calling me crazy and they're genuinely interested in hearing about what I experienced and maybe even trying to find some answers. Yeah, I think the weight has been lifted off of a lot of these witnesses 
shoulders. I mean, you're talking back Vietnam or even earlier, yeah. uh, the idea of shell shock and and whatnot and right. um, Gulf War syndrome. I mean, you you were caught dead talking about a UFO yeah. because that is a telltale sign that you're suffering this what we now term PTSD and whatnot. Um, so, I mean, right there, if you wanted to get out of the military or out of war, uh, report a UFO. That seems to be the way to go to get out of it. Yeah. Um, but a lot of these guys were doing it for their country and serving their country, and they didn't want to leave. So let's take, for instance, the guy, the witness that saw the Vietnam UFO in that first unidentified episode. If he had talked about it then, like they probably would have got rid of him. So, yeah, I, I think it's interesting, the pressure to not come forward with these things within the military and again we're seeing that shift and i think this show and this organization have a lot to do with that no matter what you think of them whether you follow them support them demonize them uh they are changing the conversation and uh that's interesting well let's uh hop straight from talking about unidentified to the related topic of the intelligence authorization act for fiscal year 2021 this bill introduced in the senate on june 8th that if enacted would require a report to be assembled by the office of naval intelligence and others and it would essentially paint a picture of the current assessment of the ufo situation um at a government level so what are your thoughts on this proposed bill uh shane yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a definitely a step in the right direction. I think it um, is a baby step, but we'll take it. Uh, I think also that it came to be because of the efforts of, of TTSA. So uh, they've accomplished something in that regard that uh, hasn't happened um, ever. <laughs> and so uh, I think it's, it's very important in that regard. However, uh, I do approach it with some caution because... It, it's still not a law yet. Still hasn't really happened. It's just it's a suggestion so so far, and then the requirements are to produce a public report, uh, and it can have a, a as I recall uh, a classified addendum to it that that would not be released. So yeah. they're kind of covering both bases there, which I think is, is wise. But um, you know, I just fear the Project Blue Book um, sort of. Whitewashing of of the information that's reported. If I mean, and and I think what's happening is, you know, you there, there is a battle going on in our government right now between two camps. Um, not everyone in the government is aware of this issue, but I'm talking about there's two specific groups that are aware of what's going on. One group opposes releasing information; the other group supports it. I think this is like you know Lewis. Alessandro coming out of the military was he's from the camp that wants to release information was stonewalled couldn't get it done on the inside so he his attempt on the outside is TTSA and you know it's moving the the meter the meter some okay so that's that's awesome but um and he's even spoke of those two different camps and so um who who ultimately is going to win I don't know I mean I like to think that the truth always wins out but the end in 75 years we've been putting up with with the lies so i guess that's what's got me skeptical but i'm hopeful i guess that's how i put it well and to that point yeah it is it is a little confusing at least from my perspective you know like with with will Azondo, you know with his frustration and and leaving and trying to do things outside 
the government, yet the efforts now are focused on doing things inside the government and trying to get you know allies on the inside. Well, we already had allies on the inside, and those allies left, and <laughs> we're trying to go back inside. <laughs> and then even with like Senator Reid, right, top guy in the Senate, advocate for UFOs. However, he's even said that with with ATIP. Like he wanted to move it to a, a special access program. He wanted to make it even harder for that information to, you know, be found by people like us. So it's it's a very confusing game when it comes to politics and, and the government and, and this topic. And like you said, Shane, with Blue Book and every other government study that's been done on this, we've kind of been down this road where they've had input from other people and other organizations within the military and within the government. They put their information together. And ultimately concluded, yeah, UFOs, nothing here, move on. So why is this going to be any different? Well, we'll see. And another thing that's that's always interesting about these efforts is that it's intriguing that people who are, are briefed on these the, this subject and take an interest in it enough to, to look into it more or try to make some action happen, these are people in the government and they're being briefed and given their, their information or having their eyes open by people in the UFO community, really. UFO groups, UFO individuals are the ones briefing the government about what's happening. And then the people in the government go, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Let's look into it. You know, why are you getting your information from UFO people, number one? And number two, why are you even listening to that? Why, why wouldn't you, you know, get your information from the government or from the military? If that information exists, you probably would know about it if you had that interest. But you should be able to find out about it. But it's always been interesting to me how, I mean, that feels conspiracy for sure. And it's people, it's easy for people to, to dismiss and say, well, yeah, but that shows that it's true. But, you know, pe- people like Stephen Greer, people like Paul Hellyer in Canada, you know, a lot of his information was yeah. based off of a UFO author who shared information with him and he'd go, oh, wow, I didn't know that was happening. I need to look into this, you know. So a lot of the information is coming from the UFO community. So it, it raises lots of questions about the narrative that exists, where this information is coming from, and how the whole sort of timeline happens with a lot of these things. Is there a real concern within the government? Is there anything that the government has that they can share with us? You know, I'm sure they would like to continue the illusion that they have all the answers. They've got these the secret information that we, we're not allowed to have. But, you know, with this bill, if it even passes the Senate, then passes the House, then gets signed by the president into law, like you said, Shane, it's at their discretion to disclose what they want. It's up to these individual groups to say, oh yeah, here's our information about UFOs. And it's certainly not all the information, but it's what we want to present to you because you don't need to know what we're working on over here. And it's the same problems that they Mm -hmm. highlight in that that bill. And that is the lack of communication, lack of crosstalk. All these different groups have no Mm -hmm. idea what the other is doing. And a lot of that, you know, we've got a lot of secrecy going on between different branches of government and things. Although we're all on the same side, they're doing their own things and they've got their their own interests at heart. So, you know, ultimately it's up to them to put forth the information that's being requested and, you know, what winds up in that report. Who knows? But I'm curious to see and I'm really curious and skeptical to see if we, the public, get to see any of that, even though they've specifically asked for that. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I think this bill uh, or this intelligence committee, um, 
I'm afraid it's going to have the opposite effect that I think a lot of the UFO people think it's going to have. I do think you're right. I think this is, and even Chris Mellon tweeted out, I think last night, this is Project Blue Book for the 21st century. And I immediately was like, dude, no, that's not Uh what we want. Because we now know how filtered and suppressed and controlled the Project Blue Book narrative was in with all of this. And thank God for someone like Heineck coming out and explaining, yeah. like, this is what I found. This is what the government told you. Now, maybe is this going to be a Project Blue Book part two? I hope not. But you're right. Yeah. If we have this committee doing this, they control the narrative again. And they get to decide what it is and what the public is going to be told. So I do worry. Um, I, I, I have good and high hopes that maybe we'll get some cool cases out of it again. But I think the overall issue and the potential for threat and all of that is going to be in that classified caveat to this thing. Yeah. And um, again, mm-hmm. we understand the need for that. Yeah. I, we, I think the three of us can agree. Yeah. We understand mm-hmm. why this topic needs to be classified at a level. But at the same time, sure. I think those who really support the work of Mellon and TTSA and everything just – I urge them to keep in mind that they may not they may not give us the information that you so want and uh that that's sobering or or yeah the the result of that coming out and the the results or lack of results you know it could be quite detrimental you know so there's always yeah. that too mm-hmm. and here's the thing with with the Chris Mellon's comment about Project Blue Book for the 21st century, I mean, didn't we already have that? <laughs> I mean, it raises questions about ATIP, <laughs> right? I mean, we don't really yeah. know what ATIP did. And there was this whole thing about, oh, they didn't do anything with UFOs. And there was, they did things with UFOs. And we've always been told they were the Pentagon's UFO uh, you know, research project. That's essentially what Blue Book was for the Air Force. So, I mean, didn't we already have a, a blue book for the 21st century? You know, that was that was 2007 to 2012 and allegedly still ongoing. And now we have the UAP task force and that's supposedly, you know, the new version of ATIP. So, I mean, it seems yeah. like we already have a blue yeah. book for, for the 21st century, but Chris Mellon's comment makes that very confusing as well. So, plus, yeah. I mean, the other interesting thing too about this bill, right, is that, this proposed bill doesn't discuss public sightings or reports at all. So it can't truly be, you know, a good analogy with Project Blue Book because Blue Book was a lot of public cases. It was citing reports from the public that they were investigating. Yeah, military sightings yep. are 1% of the 99% UFO reports. So I think, yeah, that's that's a really good point to make Jason. and this bill is specifically yeah, focused yeah. on military all military and only on a few groups yeah, within yeah. the military i mean they're not even bringing in all government bodies they're not bringing in the faa like they, they're not interested in that stuff this is all military yeah. that that seems yeah. a little ridiculous to me and i think that proves once again why we need civilian investigatory programs and organizations and and independent mm-hmm. researchers out there Doing the the dirty work, <laughs> you know, traveling around the country, yeah. interviewing people um, and whatnot who are also having these experiences other than military. Yeah. So, so we can yeah. remain realistic, but I'm still, you know, hopeful and optimistic that, you know, something good comes out of that. It does start new discussions. It does 
help mm-hmm. people become aware within the government that there is, first of all, a, a communications problem. They need to, to get their shit together and be able to, to communicate, especially when it comes to this topic, to be able to share that data and, uh, you know, hopefully get a better understanding of, of what's going on and, and, you know, what they can do to get more, more information about this subject. We have to take everything, everything with a grain of salt. You, have, you know, you have to be as balanced as you can. Um, and understand, you know, there are multiple agendas and politics going on all the time when it comes to UFOs. And you've got to keep your feet on the ground and, and just, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Right. Because as we've learned over and over, you know, those eggs are going to get broken. I mean, it just <laughs> we've been disappointed a million times, right? So I just, yep. I, know, I try not to get too strongly opinionated. And I always reserve the right to change my mind because new information comes out. But I, I just think that, you know, thumping your chest and claiming this or that is dangerous, dangerous thing to do because uh, the information, the world that, that we're living in and, and this topic and all the tangents and the people and all the agendas, I mean, you can have egg on your face real quick. So yeah. I think it's just, you know, be, be skeptical to a healthy degree, be supportive where, where it's warranted. You know, be critical where it's warranted and, and, you know, just try and, you know, stay in the middle of the road and, and take it as it comes and, and, you know, analyze it with what you know and, you know, go ahead and develop some opinions and theories, but just recognize that that's all they are and that they should be subject to change. And I think that's kind of the, the safe way to do it. And I think it's not, not cowardly, but it's the a responsible way to do it. It is. It's the responsible mm-hmm. way. I gr- agree with you 100%. And on that note, uh, the final topic we can touch on quickly is hype, grand claims, and unnamed sources. Things that have always been present in the mm. UFO field and are things that thrive on social media, unfortunately. Um, predictions are another thing I'll throw in there. And as history has shown, it's typically the yeah. wiser move for anybody who expects to be taken seriously to steer clear of making predictions related to this topic. But these common problematic issues have been perfectly illustrated lately by the public statements and restatements about an impending article in the New York Times about a U.S. government UFO crash retrieval program. Now, claims like this usually come from people who assert that they have some secret unnamed source who's relayed this amazing information to them. And yeah, that may very well be true in some cases. However, it seems to me that by publicly spreading around something that was told to you in confidence, you're not only putting the source's job in jeopardy, you're also putting everything surrounding the claim in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look specifically at the claim about the New York Times story. If revealing the fact that such a story was being worked on was permitted and wouldn't jeopardize the research, the scoop, and so on, then the source would directly share that information with the public or wouldn't mind being named. And with news spreading about this alleged impending story, the Times would have to know that the source was prematurely blabbing about the story, therefore potentially resulting in the source being fired and the story being scrapped. And it's not just the story. It's every story like this in the UFO community where there are alleged secret communications, amazing claims made, and people within the UFO community eager to break that news to everybody else without stopping to think of the potential damage it can do. We're really in a time right now where people want to be the first. You know, they want to be the first 
to to share some great news, some information, even something something silly about uh, an article coming out. I mean, mainstream media publishes articles all the time about these incredible stories and topics related to UFOs. And you could argue that the Times already, in fact, talked about crash retrievals because in that great story, you know, that start, started this whole whirlwind um, back in 2017, they mentioned Bigelow modifying buildings to store materials. I mean, that was already covered. Yeah. And crash retrievals isn't a new topic in this field. It's been covered over and over and over since Roswell. I mean, that was the start of it. Yeah. There, there's been so many mainstream media outlets that have gone into this topic. But again, it doesn't matter about that story because even if there is a story about this, what does that do aside from rehashing old information or by making claims that can't be substantiated, right? Because even the greatest thing that come out of a story like that from a mainstream outlet like the Times would be to specifically name an organization within the U.S. government that is tasked with doing crash retrievals. However, and I, I guess it's always possible that they could say that it's for recovering extraterrestrial spacecraft, but that's not going to happen, in my opinion, just opinionating here, but that's not going to happen if they were to name or out some crash retrieval program it would be very vague. It would talk about, you know, recovering unidentified objects or whatever. And I don't know about you guys, but it stands to reason that the government has that. I mean, they'd be silly not to, mm -hmm. to have a, a group that would go out and recover craft that crash that they don't know what it is, number one, to find out what it is. And number two, because we want to recover technology from our adversaries. You know, that makes sense. Or things we're testing. You're going to have some group within the government tasked with yeah. going out and cleaning that shit up before anybody else can find out about it. That just makes sense. Absolutely. Right. And not yeah. even having to do with uh, aliens or anything. I mean, of course, like there has to be a retrieval of down spacecraft, yep. aircraft, no matter what it yep. is. It could be it could be Russian. It could be Chinese. It doesn't matter. We have to retrieve it and figure out what it is. Um, so, yeah, I. I agree with everything you said, Jason. The only thing I would add is I think um, the the Twitter crowd, as it were, need to just temper their excitement and just let these things be as they are. Um, if there's going to be a New York Times article, great. Like, wait for it. We don't need months yeah. and months of hype to get to that point. Um, I think the greatest work and the safest way to get this information out is to just drop it when it's ready and when all the sources have been vetted, everything – I mean that New York Times article in 2017 took them, god, almost half a year to write because they had to vet mm -hmm. their sources. They had to make sure every word was carefully there. Um, so yeah, for, for those who are claiming inside sources and that an article's coming out and everything, it's fun, it's sexy, it's whatever. But at the end of the day, like – I have learned to temper my own excitement in hyping things when it comes to my own work. Um, and that's a, that was a big thing for me. So I think if other people took that um, into their own work and into their own research and just let it let the chips fall as they may, uh, we'd all be better off. Now we might not ever get that article. And those claiming no article was in the works, maybe there was, but now there isn't because of this.
That's how journalism works. I mean, we know that. That's how it works. And especially with a main outlet like The Times, I mean, there's no guarantee, number one. I mean, you can have the greatest story in the world in the works that, you know, they they either commissioned or expressed interest in. But when it comes down to it, they might say, nah, pass. I mean, just because you're writing yeah. it, you have no control over what they're going to do. Um, you certainly can't say, oh, coming this week, guys. But again, there, there's no need for that hype. There's no need for treating this like it's a competition to be the first to claim something, the first to report on something, and certainly not focusing on who's right and who's wrong. There is no right and wrong. We're all looking for answers and you know, taking the information in as it comes and doing with that information what we individually choose to do. But there's a big focus now, I think, on shaming people and forcing people to have the same viewpoints about certain things and that and ufos just doesn't go together that's not how the study of ufos works and the study of the unknown the study of the strange like as you said shane i agree with you completely and that's how i live my life with all this is you know that your views are constantly going to change because you're constantly being presented with new information. You're constantly learning new things about sources from information that you once considered, um, you know, high value and certain things might change that because you learn mm-hmm. new things. It's constantly evolving. So you have to constantly let your, your own personal views evolve with that. Now, yeah, I mean, as far as shaming and, and wanting to prove people wrong, I mean, I guess that's just an individual thing, and personalities are going to do that. And I think there's this this real desire, this this hunger for some of these people making the loudest noise to, I guess, have some sort of, not really acceptance, but they want confirmation, you know, to support their, their established beliefs and what they've been barking to, you know, their friends and relatives to, to feel vindicated. They... they might need that, you know, for their their personality to be able to go, aha, see, I can shove it in your face now. I was right all along. Some people need that. It's a weird personality trait, but I know a lot of people have that. And again, I don't think those that, that type of personality goes well with the search for truth when it comes to a topic like UFOs. So I, I, I don't know. I see it doing more more harm than good when it comes to UFOs. We're not saying that we don't want a New York Times story about crash retrievals. I mean, I think that would be pretty cool. I would want to read it. I would want to see what 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 these claims are and what the sources are. And again, I mean, that helps me in my journey in learning about these weird topics and what's going on. But, you know, if it doesn't come out, that's fine too. If it comes out and it says some wacky, wonky stuff that I can't substantiate, it's not going to do anything for me and could potentially harm, you know, any serious research into this. But in the end... It's just an article on a website or in a newspaper. They come and go. It's not going to change the world, no matter how grand it is. I mean, look at the buzz and hype that was created with the 2017 article. People jumped up and down and thought that was the greatest thing ever. And now everybody is fascinated by UFOs. Everybody is into this topic. Well, that's not necessarily true. I mean, there are still you know just as many people as before who have no idea what's going on in the world of UFO research and UFO news. They're aware of that story. They're aware of, you know, certain articles that come up here and there. They still have the casual interest that they always had. 
but they haven't jumped into UFO research. Their worldview hasn't shifted. Their lives are just the same. They just thought it was cool that there was a story in the New York Times about UFOs, and they've moved on. So even if we had something grand claiming that there's a crash retrieval system in the UFO in the U.S. government, it's going to cause a splash. Every media outlet in the, around the world is going to write spinoff stories about it. People are going to talk about it on podcasts. The world's going to move on, and people in the UFO community are still going to be talking about it, how it's the greatest thing that's ever happened. These things come and go. That's how news happens. And we focus on it and fixate on it because this is what we're passionate about. This is the field we're in. So, you know, we're more hypersensual. Uh, hypersensual. <laughs> we, we are, we are hypersensual. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, baby. again, we're talking personally here. Personally, I'm hypersensual. To yeah. all. But hypersens- yeah. hypersensitive to, to these topics, we pay more attention to it. It affects us more than it does the general public. Good point, yeah. Jason. And I, I think that passion we're seeing in the the more vocal of those on like UFO Twitter and everything, that's great. And I, I think it's fantastic. We're all passionate about this topic too. But like you said, the New York Times article didn't change the world, but it did blindside the DOD at one point where they had to literally backtrack and change their their official stance on all this. So, hey, if there is a crash retrieval article coming out, just let it happen when it happens. And it's going to blindside those people who are involved with that as well. So, again, it's not going to change the world, but it's going to get the conversation going on every facet of this topic. We all find uh, very exciting and um, and sensual in some ways. And sensual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I would just say to your point earlier, Jason, I would rather wait for fully vetted professional journalistic article with facts than, you know, be deluged with supposition and opinion and all the hype preceding it, you know, or trying to jump it. In other words, you know, all of that's fine. And that, and to me, that's the world of, of social media. Actually, that's, if, if if we didn't have social media, we wouldn't see 90% of that, right? right. There just would be no way for, <laughs> for that to happen. But it's like I, I mentioned in my book and stuff about how, you know, hoaxers, they do, they do a disservice to us all. Um, and I think in a way, this kind of speculation does a disservice to us as well because, you know, it, it, um, it muddies the water and it kind of takes away credibility. And, and for me, and I think you mentioned it, Jason, I'm on a search for truth. You know, yeah. I want to know the truth. I don't want, uh, you know, to cloud my mind or my judgment or my opinion, you know, with a bunch of speculation that ends up being completely wrong or off base or any of that. And so I, I think it's wise to just hold back a little bit, let things play out and see what really is real versus uh, all the hype stuff. So, and, and I get it. I mean, it is, it is a competition in some regards. Um, but, you know, and there are obviously genuinely sincere, enthusiastic people yeah. doing this research and stuff. Yes, and, absolutely. And, um, and I appreciate all that. I don't, I don't mean to diminish yep. them, but, but what I'm just saying is we, get, we, wanna, we want facts, and we don't want just, you know, unsubstantiated stuff we want the real deal we want we want the truth so uh, and that and that's why I said earlier just taking everything with a grain of salt because you know there's a lot of proclamations of we know this and that and blah 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 and it doesn't happen and if 
if you if you put all your eggs in that basket, you're going to be disappointed. And who knows? I, I bet you there's been people who have been disappointed right out of ufology because it, you know, it didn't turn out to be what they thought because they were basing everything on, you know, a certain book or a line of thinking or some kind of concept that eventually falls out of favor or, or you know, is proven untrue. And then, you know, that would be a real shame for someone. So I just think right. it's responsible to be careful and to use good judgment and, and let, let the truth come out and then, then get excited, then get hyped. Yeah. And this, like I said, I mean, this, this isn't a field, this isn't a, a hobby for people or, or, you know, a, a focus of study for anybody who does not have patience. I mean, UFOs are slow, you know, <laughs> we've been waiting 75 years, you know, what's, what's another yeah. year, a couple years, you know, there, there's no rush. The information will come if it's coming. Um, and even when that information comes, you're not going to be satisfied because there are going to be more questions and you're, you're going to be waiting on yeah, additional yeah. information. It's, it's an endless, endless quest. So if you're not ready for that, you know, it's time to eject, I think, but you got to strap in for the, for the long haul with this and understand that it requires a lot of patience. It's very unfulfilling, unsatisfying and frustrating. That's what yeah. UFO research is. Uh, why do yeah. we do this it's- to ourselves, gentlemen? Because <laughs> we like, we like the journey. Yeah, it is. It's it is. It's all oh, about it's the journey. journey. We always, you know, every 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 few months, we we threaten that we're uh, we're ready to quit UFOs. We're done with UFOs. Yep. Can't do it anymore. Why? <laughs> so stressful. So frustrating. Why do we do this? But it always pulls us back in, and that's because UFOs are so sensual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some uh, of that awesome. sweet element one fifteen, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Well, citizens, that's going to do it for this episode. You can find more episodes of Unknown on all the major platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, and iHeartRadio. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you're notified when we publish new episodes. And it would be awesome if you left a positive review for the show, too. You can always find this show and our other shows at RoguePlanet.tv, because Unknown is a Rogue Planet production. RoguePlanet.tv is your home for all the strange. Thanks again for hanging out with us today. I'm Jason McClellan. Do us a favor, friends. Always treat the UFO subject with the cautious and responsible skepticism it deserves. Question everything. Have the courage to form your own opinions. Keep truth as the focus of your quest, even if the truth conflicts with your opinions. And, of course, stay strange. Stay strange.